Hi, I'm George Bodarki, and this is Cityscape. You're listening to the music of the Grupo Rebelu Family Jam. They're among the more than 50 leading traditional instrumentalists, dancers, singers, poets, and more featured in Beat of the Burroughs NYC Online. The Center for Traditional Music and Dances series features immigrant performers from around the world. Joining me to talk about the program are the Center's Executive Director, Pete Ruszewski, and Project Director and Staff Ethnomusicologist, Andrew Caldwell. Peter, thank you so much for taking the time. A pleasure. Thank you. Andrew, welcome to Cityscape. It's great to be here. Thank you for having us. So, Peter, let me start with you. What is the Center for Traditional Music and Dance? Well, Center for Traditional Music and Dance is a nonprofit immigrant arts organization based right here in New York City. Uh, We were founded in 1968, and our mission is to work in partnership with the city's immigrant communities to sustain their diverse performing arts traditions and share them with the wider public. Uh, The organization, a little history, the organization was founded uh, back in 68 as the Balkan Arts Center. Our co-founders, Martin Koenig and Ethel Rehm, were really focused then on introducing Americans to the amazing musics and dances of the Balkans. But in the five decades since, uh, as the city's immigration patterns changed and opened to the whole world, our programs diversified also. So in normal times, uh, pre-pandemic, Uh, We're doing programs around the calendar. We help immigrant artists to present live public programs such as concerts, workshops, lectures, demonstrations, and we have a big youth education program. Uh, All these things work to keep artistic traditions alive and thriving throughout the boroughs and share them within these communities as well as without audiences outside of each of these immigrant communities. So one day we'll be in Staten Island producing a festival with the Sri Lankan Dance Academy, which is an incredible traditional dance ensemble out there. Uh, The next day, our Pachamama Peruvian Arts Program will be teaching 100 kids the dances and musical forms of Peru's diverse regions out in Jackson Heights. And just, you know, every week there's just great programs that uh, we're doing. And uh, so I really encourage everybody to all the listeners to go check out what we're doing on our website, ctmd.org. And this month you have a very special program coming up, Beat of the Burroughs, which will be online due to the pandemic. Talk to us about Beat of the Burroughs. Uh, Yeah, that's correct. So uh, since the pandemic, um, you know, we've had to quickly react and do a couple of things. Um, first of all, CTMD has been moving all of our programs online and working to assist our artists. Firstly, with getting critical relief funds for those in need. And secondly, helping the artists to share their artistry and stories online. And so we started Beat of the Burrows, which as you said, is an online video series. It's gonna premiere on Monday, November 16th. And Andrew in a bit, will talk a little bit more, a lot more about Beat of the Burrows because he's been the main point person for that program. Andrew, tell us more about Beat of the Burrows. Yeah, Beat of the Burrows NYC Online is a program that we started with the help of the New York Community Trust's uh, COVID relief fund to try and um, help artists and immigrant artists in uh, various New York communities um, suffering, especially from the pandemic. So uh, we're airing 54 programs over the course of three months, three times a week on Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays at 5 p.m., featuring various immigrant artists and ensembles that we've worked with before or who we 
learned about recently uh, needing such supports. You know. So prior to going online with this, how did you hold these events in previous years? So, yeah, before the quarantine, of course, we typically held organized events at local community centers, parks, libraries, or concert halls like Lincoln Center for all kinds of occasions, including traditional ceremonies, community festivals or concerts or public workshops, where anyone could come and learn about the tradition. And these would be live gatherings, of course. You know, Pete mentioned some of the work we've done in, on Staten Island with the Sri Lanka community. And that included a Surya festival where dancers, drummers, and poets got together at New Dorp Moravian Church and not only presented their traditions in person, but also explored important community issues face to face. So those are the kinds of programs we typically did. Um, but with the coming of the pandemic and quarantine, obviously such gatherings are impossible. And so we searched for a way to try and bring some of that spirit online to um, audiences within and outside of the New York and Louisiana community. How do you identify the artists that you are showcasing? So CTMD has worked with numerous immigrant communities and artists for over 50 years. So through those deep relationships, we already knew about artists who could particularly need support in these difficult times due to linguistic or digital barriers, among other life circumstances. Uh, unfortunately, some artists have really been struggling economically. So through an online presence like Beatles of Burroughs, we can, we can help them scare, secure new opportunities for online performances, but potentially. Um, but through these relationships, we have also learned about other artists we have never worked with before and who could also need uh, support. So we extended the invitation beyond the CTMD family as well. And on top of those deep relationships, we wanted to make sure we reached out to artists in all five boroughs and from a diverse set of communities to be reflective of New York in general as well. So in a single week, you'll hear the Mongolian long songs of Suvda Herid to Haitian traditional songs by George Wilson and Regine Romaine and the Afro-Colombian songwriting of Ronald Polo of Grupo Revolu. So. Each week is incredibly diverse, actually. Pete, is there any artist that you're particularly excited about? Well, we're, we're kicking out right on Monday, November 16th. We're kicking off the series with the, the New York Crimean Tatar Ensemble, which is just this amazing ensemble from this amazing community of about six to 8,000 Crimean Tatars. So these are uh, folks who uh, lived for, you know, hundreds and hundreds of years in Crimea until uh, Stalin and one of the great, unfortunately, one of the great genocides of the 20th century basically relocated, loaded the whole community into cattle cars and sent them to the Urals, to Siberia, to places like Uzbekistan. So most of the musicians we're working with now actually, even though they're from this Crimean community, really grew up in Uzbekistan in Central Asia. And it's only been since the, uh, the ending of the Soviet Union in the 90s that the Crimean Tatars have been repopulating their ancestral lands of Crimea, and it's a it's a beautiful music. If you're familiar with, say, Jewish klezmer music, which is sort of a co-territorial music of Eastern Europe, or Balkan music, or Turkish music, and you look at a map and you kind of think about what all those music sound like, Crimean Tatar music sounds pretty much exactly where you what you think it might sound like geographically. It's a real mix of Eastern and Western sounds and and instruments, and it's it's just an amazingly beautiful and relatively, to, in this country, undiscovered music. So we're, I'm particularly excited about that program.
speaking of klezmer music, you brought it up. You yourself are a klezmer musician, am I right? That's right. That's right. I stand accused. Um, I grew up in upstate New York, Rochester, New York, and I uh, grew up as a kid playing blues and American folk music. And in college, I was uh, I found a tape in a local record store of klezmer clarinetist Dave Terrace that had been put out by the Balkan Arts Center in the early 1980s. And Bal the Balkan Arts Center, of course, is now the organization I work for, Center for Traditional Music and Dance. But it was really that project with Dave Terrace uh, back in the late 70s and early 80s and some young musicians and researchers who have gone on to become stars in the, their own right. Andy Statman, who was a very well-known mandolinist and clarinetist, and Zev Feldman. Uh, that set off the, this project really set off what's become an international revival of not only klezmer but more widely Yiddish music. Klezmer is the instrumental music tradition, uh, and there's of course another whole vocal side to Yiddish music, and that revival is still going on strong 45 years later. And I, when I heard this music in this record store, I was just captivated, and all of a sudden I understood personally how I ex I could express my own Jewish culture through traditional music, which I kind of didn't really think about before. And so I had the really the privilege of growing up in this cultural revival around Yiddish music, which is, you know, the music my grandparents grew up in. And now there's a whole new generation who's getting really excited about it. And uh, as a matter of fact, the center is the sponsor of a fabulous uh, festival. In fact, it's the nation's largest festival of Yiddish culture. And it's called Yiddish New York. And it's coming December 26th through 30th. We usually do it online. You do it live, but this year it's all going to be online. There's concerts, workshops, panel discussions, films, lectures, theater, dance, visual arts, and great programs for kids and teens. Uh, you don't need to speak a word of Yiddish to come to Yiddish New York, but we can't promise that you won't learn a bit of Yiddish while you're at Yiddish New York. You, you, you just may. So it's, it's a really great time and uh, really welcoming uh, program and community to to people who want to explore the world of Yiddish culture. There is a lot of interest in Yiddish culture right now. I know that not too long ago there was a Yiddish version of Fiddler on the Roof in New York City, enormously popular. So really, there's a lot of interest in Yiddish. Absolutely, absolutely, and it's and it's just really rewarding when you go to these programs. Um, how it's it's really an intergenerational crowd. So you're getting folks, you know. In their 90s, folks in their 80s, and they're, you know, dancing with folks, you know, teens and, you know, 20-somethings and even younger kids. So, uh, and that's really what makes it all such a special program. And, and to me, that's really the power that traditional music's traditional culture offers. It, it offers those sort of, those links between generations and how, a, a, how communities kind of pass their kind of their understanding of the, of the world and their culture to the next generation. So it's, it's, it's really, you can see that in action at Yiddish New York, and you can really see that in action at all of Center for Traditional Musics and Dances programs. I mean, that's really what we're all about. It's, it's finding those, those, those beautiful, wonderful artistic uh, genres that really link, the, link communities together that are seen as kind of uh, pieces, things that they can show, introduce, use to introduce themselves and their culture to, with their new neighbors here in New York City. And uh, it's 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 really what makes our Andrew and my jo my jobs a real joy every day to be able to work with these extraordinary artists across all sorts of different communities. Yeah, talk to us more about the strength of immigrant artistry in New York City. 
Sure. Well, first of all, the New York metro region, of course, is a world center for diverse arts, and it's perhaps the nation's most important hub of immigrant culture. I mean, uh, it's a city of diverse arts and cultural scenes, and each scene is, is almost like its own ecosystem with, you know, with uh, musicians, with dancers, with community members who are dancing the dances, with grandmothers who are, you know, singing songs to their grandchildren in the, in, you know, before bedtime and things like that. It's all part of it. It's what makes our neighborhood so vibrant. And uh, some of the lead, country's leading traditional artists reside here. A number of recipients of the National Endowment for the Arts' National Heritage Fellowship Award, which is a lifetime honor, and it's seen as the federal government's highest award in folk and traditional arts. So people like Sue Young Park, who's a dancer, and she was the first Korean recipient of the award, and she has an extraordinary ensemble, Sounds of Korea, don't miss them. Uh, Yuri Yanakov, who lives just across the Hudson River in New Jersey, but very much part of the New York Balkan music scene. He's a pioneering Bulgarian saxophonist that we've worked with for 25 years. He's one of the creators of what's called Bulgarian wedding music, which is an incredibly virtuosic style that's become popular on world music stages internationally. We have, uh, you know, singers like Ahmed Erdudular, who's probably, he lives in Harlem, and he's probably the world's leading contemporary interpreter of Ottoman vocal music and has a great uh, nonprofit that he runs called uh, Macomb New York that does all sorts of amazing concerts and workshops. And he's, he's been a dear friend to work with. But, you know, despite all this talent, George, it is an exceedingly difficult period for all performing artists. I mean, across genres, let alone immigrant artists who, as Andrew said, may be facing barriers of language, culture, and frankly, in certain cases, documentation, which hinders or, or prevents them from getting help from governmental income subsidies or support for major arts, fu arts funders. Um, sadly, we've recently lost a couple major artists to COVID-19. Uh, Diego Obregon, who is an amazing Afro-Colombian Afro marimba player and maker and a very important member of the scene back both here and as well as back in Colombia. And Rustam Samarkandi, who is an utterly transcendent singer from Uzbekistan and a master of the Central Asian classical music system known as Shashmakam, uh, which uh, there's a huge population of Central Asians, especially in the Rigo Park area in uh, Queens. And, that, and they're both Jewish and Muslim. Uh, and, it's, and it's a great model of uh, Jewish-Muslim inter, interfaith and intercommunity uh, partnership. And that's, that's you know, been going on for a thousand years on the Silk Road and it's been re-transplanted in Queens. And uh, so, sadly, uh, Diego and Rustam are no longer with us. They, they were dear, dear friends and some of the best artists I've ever seen perform. And I, it was an honor to work with them. And we're going we're gonna to miss them dearly. As you mentioned, Beat of the Burroughs, of course, is one way that you are helping these artists through the pandemic. Are there other ways that you're providing assistance? Yeah, well, we before we, we did Beat of the Burroughs, we just started uh, out with a, a flat-out relief fund. So it was... Um, it was uh, created in partnership with a few other local art, folk arts organizations, namely City Lore and Bronx Music Heritage Center and a couple others. And uh, immediately we were able to give over 90 artists $500 checks. There was a short application that was available in about 15 different languages and was translated. You know, if they didn't, weren't speakers of one of those languages, we had it specially translated for them. And so we were really honored. And uh, by getting the information about... Uh, you know, what artists were, um, 
we're dealing with in the pandemic, that gave us the idea to, okay, let's keep this effort going. And, and additionally, use it as a way to not only, not only just give relief funds out, but also provide work, provide work as artists. And uh, this video series, Beat of the Burrows, is really a way where um, it's great because we're not only, you're not only getting a sense of the art form, but you're really getting a sense of many of these are taking place in the artist's homes or their local park or, you know, outside their apartment building or outside a community center. And uh, you're really getting a sense of the art, the stories of the immigration stories and the stories of life in these different immigrant communities. And um, it's just extraordinary. And of course, it's, you know, the beauty of video is you can watch it from your own home, but you're really getting an up close and personal portrait of someone who's maybe all the way across town, but you sort of enter their lives in a in a special way. And so uh, I, I really urge everybody to check out this this amazing series. Andrew, is there an artist that will be featured in this series whose story you think will surprise people most? Yes. I mean, there are a lot of amazing stories behind these artists, but Siddiqui Kande, an amazing dancer and drummer from Guinea, West Africa, is particularly inspiring. Unfortunately, he lost use of his child due to polio. But despite that challenge, he learned how to dance on his hands in order to participate in a coming-of-age ceremony in his home village. On top of that, he became a master drummer, toured the world, and eventually settled here in New York in a five-story walk-up in Manhattan, by the way. And now he's a National Heritage Fellow. So in the program, um, his, which his partner shot for him on their living room couch, he discusses the drumming and sacred dance mass of his ancestral village and also gives a few words of wisdom about how to face life's hardships. So he's great. Now you yourself are a throat singer and a multi-instrumentalist, right, Andrew? Yes. So what's involved with that, being a throat singer? Oh, so um, I've done a lot of work in Mongolia um, as an ethnomusicologist and did my several, lived there for several years studying music on my own before I started doing official research for my PhD. But uh, in particular, I was studying Humi, which many people call throat singing outside of Mongolia. And it's this remarkable vocal practice where um, you, you imitate the sounds of nature. And then of course, um, people, um, non-Mongolians typically hear multiple notes and are particularly excited about that, but it's a remarkable vocal, remarkable vocal practice. And um, so, and as a multi-instrumentalist, oh, I play a little bit of everything, of course, uh, on top of that. Now, I don't know how throat singing will translate over Zoom, but can I ask you to do something for us? Oh, sure. <laughs> Here we go. <clears throat> Wow. Bravo. What was that? So that was me doing a style of humi or throat singing called iskire, which literally means whistle in Mongolian. And so that was just a, a sort of improvised melody. 
um, in a style that you might typically hear when you're out on the step as a herder. And a lot of herders would do this, um, Humi and other forms of singing, just when they're out herding and and sort of reflecting the character and aesthetic of nature while they're performing. So in in the melody, you you know you could might typically hear that and feel that way same way when you're out on a step actually so what i'm doing though with technically is i i sing with a normal voice add a little pressure to my vocal cords and then i tuck my tongue upwards into a little resonant cavity that emphasizes some of the harmonics present in the sound of the voice so if you go like ah uh, then you add the the, the tongue technique so I transition between an open voice to the voice with the tongue elevated to produce that harmonic, emphasize that harmonic. Yeah. Super impressive. Thank you for sharing that with us, Andrew. Very, very, very impressive. Pete, I can't help but think how important this is to our young folks in New York City to educate them about all of this great music that is created in the city that they might not be familiar with. Completely. And, uh, you know, it's such a rich, a rich cultural environment that um, for young people it's, it would make part of what makes New York City an exciting place. I'm a, I'm a father for, of three kids, three young kids. So uh, I get to see it through their eyes and so, but we've started, we have a program called Sharing Traditions, which provides youth education programs to kids. It's, it's targeted to kids in immigrant communities. Uh, so we have the, the largest, actually the first and largest mariachi academy on the, in the Eastern U.S., uh, we have over 200 kids in the program and it's going in upper Manhattan and Queens. We have uh, the nation, uh, probably the nation's first large uh, Peruvian musical institute for kids called Pachamama Peruvian Arts, which is in Jackson Heights. And that's a terrific program that serves over 100 kids in that community. We have a, a wonderful Escuela, School for uh Colombian traditional music and dance that covers different uh, regional styles from Afro-Peruvian music to, I'm sorry, Afro-Colombian music on the coast to the, kind of the northern part of the country and also the, the plains, the Great Plains. Uh, so it's really covering all those styles. We've started a, a program with a, a, a group called the Mensa Society in Chinatown in Manhattan and they serve a bunch of kids, uh, teaching them uh, Chinese instruments like pipa and guzheng and, and yangqin. And uh, really, it's, they have a youth ensemble as well. Uh, Andrew was recently um, involved in a, a wonderful uh, effort uh, in partnership with members of the Himalayan community, starting a, a folk song teaching program aimed at kids. And we had, I think, over 150 kids were took part in like a two to three week class on uh, learning uh, folk, the traditional folk music of their family. So that was, that's been an exciting program. We just launched a new program called, cause I mean, one, one of the impacts in at the schools with the pandemic is music programs obviously are really getting hurt because, you know, music classes can't meet ensembles and orchestras aren't meeting and things like that. So we've recently partnered with a, a wonderful music educator named Sarah Fairholt in Brooklyn 
to uh, create a program called Music Connects NYC, which is bringing weekly concerts and also workshops aimed at kids in these in a couple middle schools in out in Brooklyn. Uh, with each week, they're getting a, a workshop and a concert with a, a, a different traditional artist from a different community. So that's uh, you know that's one of the exciting things that uh, the online world can bring is all this kind of access. Uh, and connection to people who don't live quite in your neighborhood or, you know, make it easier for you to kind of sample some of these music, but it's certainly not the same as the live and real, the real thing live, but you know, we can, we, this music, traditional music has great, we're finding out has, and dance has great resilience. And, um, and especially when you partner, not only the arts, but the stories behind the arts. So the, you know, when the music makers and the dancers kind of take you into their world and and talk about, you know, how they learn their how how they learn their instrument or their dance form, and uh, what are the community what are the contexts in the community that these traditions are practiced. And for me, that's always been you know the most exciting thing is not only you know getting to to hear these beautiful sounds and see watch these dances from around the world but kind of hearing the stories behind them and the contextualization which uh you know just really deepens the um uh the experience that you get when you're uh hearing these musics what would you say is among the oldest traditional music and dance still practiced in new york city and what is the newest like in terms of what we're exposed to, if you will, because new culture is coming to the city. Well, I mean, I, I think it's a little hard to say that to kind of say how old is a is a tradition, because the thing about traditions is they evolve over time and they're you can see sort of see them as links in a chain. So, for instance, klezmer music. The, now, a lot of people might be familiar with very kind of jazzy sounding clarinet music and horns and things like that. I actually play a different style of klezmer music mainly, which is more of a string music. And it had a lot of influence even with Baroque music uh, from different shtetls, which were the small Jewish villages, small Jewish towns in Eastern Europe. So, you know, that was more music from a hundred years ago. So it even, it was kind of music from my, my grandparents' childhoods. You know, rares where they they were World War One refugees. So when they came here, they were hearing this new kind of this new style of American klezmer music. And I mentioned Dave Terrace, this great clarinetist. He was one of the progenitors of that new American style of klezmer. But I could go back, you know, because in every generation, Jews were were singing and dancing, but different styles of you know the music was changing and uh, the dances were changing and things like that. And uh, so it's. So you're, you get a little bit, it gets to be in a little bit of a, a speculative, a very speculative pro, uh, proposal to try and say, which is the oldest music or which is this. But, um, you know, many of these musics, you know, the musics we, we hearing now might be 50 years old or 100 years old, but they've got a lot of roots in musics from previous generations and what people in traditions from, from earlier times. Andrew, how frequently are you discovering that there is traditional music and dance being played out here in New York City, but you didn't know that there was somebody in New York City playing that kind of music or doing that kind of dance. For me, being the project director and staff ethnomusicologist for this organization, I mean, um, looking at the archives and all the work that has been done just by our organization, not including other organizations in New York. I mean, there's, there's countless, like myriad, uh, 
practices, traditions, dance forms, vocal forms. I mean, you name it. It's um, like you just and you might never find out or ever learn about them unless you knew somebody who happened to know that person who then introduces you to the cousin of that other person. In other cases, it's you'll uh, there's communities that are very well organized and present their own work and their own festivals and concerts in, in public with and promote those programs um, in very public places. And so you might just be walking on the street and in your own neighborhood and there you go. But um, how frequently, um, if you were to spend your 24 hours a day with this quest in mind, I could see you, I mean, maybe every hour. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's amazing. This this city really is incredibly, incredibly diverse in ways that are we're always learning about, that are always changing, and it'll never stop as long as New York is New York. You know, I mean, it's a, it's really is a global hub yeah. for all forms of culture. Andrew, thank you. Thank you. Pleasure to be here. Peter, thank you so much. Thank you. You can learn more about the Center for Traditional Music and Dance and its series, Beat of the Burrows, at ctmd.org. Big thanks to Pete Ruszewski and Andrew Caldwell. I'm George Boldarki. We leave you now with a bit more of the Grupo Rebelu Family Jam. <laughs>